Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Many Christians today have yet to learn that the gospel calls and empowers us to a new way of living personally. It's to affect me as a person, a new way of living, and a new way of living collectively in community as the people of God. So that's what the gospel's called us to. That's what the gospel empowers us to. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, in a message titled, The Church Stumbling Before the World. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I've mentioned this before. Paul refers to the Corinthians as fleshly. And like the New King James Version, it translates that Greek word carnal. Uh, The NIV that we're using translates that Greek word worldly. The word carnal is actually closer because the word literally means fleshly. So he says to the Corinthians, and this is not a compliment, he says, you are fleshly. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that although they had the spirit, they were true believers, and therefore they possessed the spirit of God, they were behaving as though they didn't. They were behaving just like everyone else. And so... Another example of their fleshliness is seen in the verses that we read. Paul originally spoke that word to them in relation to the divisions that were among them and so forth. But then we went on to see how there was also sexual immorality among them. That was another manifestation of their fleshliness. And now the things that he is addressing here, Christians are suing one another and doing so in the law courts of the day before unbelievers. And according to Paul, because of this, they are completely defeated. Paul just says, this is just a complete failure. This is a complete defeat. Uh, Another version reads, utterly failing. You are utterly failing. So what were they utterly failing at? Well, they were utterly failing to personally be like Christ, who they were professing to follow. And so their behavior is an utter failure in that regard. Jesus was nothing like this. So they're failing in that regard. But secondly, they're failing collectively to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and to model before a watching world God's alternative to man's corrupt and unjust social systems. You see, God's intention, this has always been the case with his people. If you go back to the Old Testament, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, for example, when God is talking about how he's brought this people, Israel, how he's brought them out of bondage in Egypt and he's brought them through the wilderness and he's bringing them into the promised land, 
God says one of the reasons that he's doing this is he wants to, to use them to show the nations what the people of God look like. What an amazing thing it is to know this God and to be in a relationship with him and to have his statutes and his laws and how this was to be something for the surrounding nations that they would look at Israel and say, that's the way life is supposed to be lived. They would look at Israel and say, we want to have their God. So that's God's intention for the church as well. One author put it like this. Crucial to Paul's point is his view of the church as an eschatological community whose existence as God's future people absolutely determines its life in the present age. The future realities, which for Paul are as certain as the present itself, condition everything the church is and does in the present. So, in other words, the church presently is to reflect what it is destined to be. An eschatological community is a community that is destined in the future to something, and in this case, it's destined to glory. So, the church is presently to reflect what it is destined to be in the future, the sanctified, beautified, glorified people of God. So swindling one another, suing one another, demanding our personal rights, these are all antithetical to the way of Christ. So in other words, they're behaving just completely the opposite of how they were supposed to be behaving of how God intended them to be behaving. And because they were behaving this way, they were misrepresenting God to the culture. Jesus set an example for us. And so here's what it says concerning Christ. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So the Corinthians and many Christians today have yet to learn that the gospel calls and empowers us to a new way of living personally. It's to affect me as a person, a new way of living, and a new way of living collectively in community as the people of God. So that's, that's what the gospel's called us to. That's what the gospel empowers us to, to live a new way. So the Corinthians were failing and stumbling before the world because they had forgotten, perhaps, or were just simply neglecting to take into account their destiny, their identity, and their calling to be like Christ. So those three things... I want to just look at those things and see how they were failing in regard to, again, their destiny, their identity, and their calling. And then I'm going to look at each of these and see how this applies to us today. So first of all, in verses 1 through 5, Paul is talking about their destiny. I mean, he's rebuking them for their behavior, but, but he's doing so based on on their destiny. Look what he says. He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the 
unjust, that's the better translation of the word there, ungodly, unjust for judgment instead of before the Lord's people. Here it is. Here's our destiny. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we, God's people, will judge angels? How much more than the things of this life. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? So first thing, he addresses their destiny. Don't you know that you're going to judge the world? Don't you know that you're going to judge angels? It's fallen angels that's being referenced there, not holy angels. But this idea that the church is somehow going to participate in the judgment in the future. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the judge. And he's going to judge the world. And the church is going to participate with him in that in some way. And then we know from other passages of scripture that the church believers are going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth. Now, quite honestly, reading this passage about the church judging the world and thinking of the condition of the church today, that sounds kind of scary. It's like, what? Man, and I can imagine somebody on the outside you know, looking in at all the crazy stuff that goes on in the church and scratching their head thinking, what, they're going to judge the world? Why? That's a valid concern because they're not living up to who they are supposed to be. They're not reflecting that they would have a legitimate basis for being part of this judgment. They're looking just like everybody else. Now, in regard to the saints judging the world, Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, says that that will be the case. It reads like this, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. So so God is going to hand over the basically the uh, governance of the world to his people. Now, Let's thank him that it's going to be after we've been refined, purified, transformed, glorified, all of that. That, That's when it's going to happen. But since that is our destiny, we should be thinking like that and we should be behaving like that presently. Paul's message is clear. Those who name the name of Jesus and claim to follow him have an astonishing destiny in the future. That's a mind blower. Like, what? We are going to be part of this ruling and reigning with Christ? Yes, an astonishing destiny, which results in an astonishing responsibility in the present. So you see, because of where we're headed, because of who God intends us to be. That's that eschatological community. God has this purpose for us. Ultimately, because of that, we have an astonishing responsibility. 
we are responsible to live in such a way that the world looks on not in fear or amazement that we would be involved in the governance of the future world, but looking on and saying, in essence, I can see that. Going back to the Deuteronomy passage, that's what God was saying. The nations that surround Israel, they're going to look at you if you do what I say. If you live according to what I'm giving you in my law, the nations are going to look around you and say, what nation is like this? There's no other nation like this. There's no nation that has laws like this. There's no nation that has righteous standards like this. That's what the church is to be. So with such a destiny, here's the question that Paul is asking. With such a destiny, how then are you unable to deal with trivial matters? You know, if this is your destiny, how is it that you can't settle a dispute among yourselves? How is it that you even have these disputes? That's the bigger question. But how is it that when the disputes arise, how is it that you can't settle this? How is it that you have to take your dirty laundry, so to speak, and go air it out in the public in the civil courts of the day? That's what Paul's asking them. And his point is, don't you see how wrong this is? Don't you see how this is a blight on the testimony of the church? When you who claim to be the people of God, when you who claim to have all of this wisdom and these righteous standards and all of this and this wonderful Savior, but you're in a dispute You can't even settle it, so you're going to go out to the courts. People that you even perceive their their judgments are often unjust, and you're going to take your case before them. And notice Paul uses the word like, do you dare do this? So how is this the case? Now, here's how this is the case, and this is always the case when sin enters into our lives and begins to get a foothold on us, it leads us to irrational, illogical, and downright stupid behavior. It's really true. It does. It just makes us dumb. It makes us crazy. And we don't do, I am almost positive that the Corinthians, these that Paul's dealing with here who are engaged in these battles together, I'm sure that, that that never even crossed their mind. They, all they were concerned with was their own rights. All they were concerned with uh, was making sure that they won the battle. And they weren't even thinking in terms of like, oh, this probably doesn't look that good to the onlooking world. Because that's what sin does. It just... We do illogical things. We do irrational things. We do, we do stupid things, and we don't think about, oh, I didn't, I didn't really think that. But that is indeed what happens, whether we are thinking it or not. So that's the first problem, their destiny. Secondly, their problem is due to the fact that they've either forgotten their identity in Christ or they're just conveniently ignoring that they are the Lord's people. And Paul refers to them here as the Lord's people twice in verses one and two. Now, 
the Lord's people, this is, again, the translation of, of the NIV. The desire behind the translators is for the average reader today to just understand what is being said without any words that would, that would complicate it. So the word here in most other translations, especially the older ones, is the common word saint. So why would they switch out God's people or, or saint for God's people? Well, because saint has been somewhat confusing to people over the years. Saint means God's people. But saint has become to mean, because of the influence, say, of the Roman Catholic Church, it's come to mean a special category of people, a unique person, very few people who have ever attained to sainthood. But the word saint, it really does mean God's people, but I think they should have added holy because it's implied that God's people are holy. And this is the point. They've lost sight of their identity as the holy people of God. So the holy people of God are people who would not lie or cheat or put themselves above others. The holy people of God are the people who are going to be committed to doing what is right and just and good. So Paul, in a sense, even indirectly, he's reminding them of their identity. Look, have you forgot that you are God's holy people? And since you're God's holy people, that implies that you would behave a certain way and not behave a certain way. So that's the second thing. The third thing is he addresses their calling. He addresses their calling in verses six through eight. So he says, but instead, this is what's going on. There's nobody among you apparently that can settle the dispute. So instead, one brother takes another to court and this in the sight of unbelievers, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already or you have utterly failed. And now he says this, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters, or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So we're talking about their calling. What is their calling? Paul says that why not rather be wronged? Oh, this is, this is so countercultural. It's so counterintuitive to all of us, right? What do you mean be wrong? What do you mean let this person get away with this? Because that's what Paul is saying. What Paul is arguing here is that, you know what? It would be better for you to suffer a loss than for you to go out into the public as Christian people and sue one another so the watching world could see that. He said it'd be, it'd be better just to take the loss. Because if you take the loss, Christ is honored. If you insist on your own way and your own rights, then inevitably Christ is going to be dishonored. Now, 
why not rather be wronged? You see, Paul is basing this on the fact that this is what Jesus did. Jesus was wronged. And he accepted the wrong. Now, earlier I referenced 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to go back and I want to read the whole passage and listen to what Peter says about Jesus and what he says about us in relation to what Jesus did. He said, to this you were called. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So you see, we're destined to glory. Our identity is saints, and we're called to follow in the example of Jesus. And then what does it say about him? It says, who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So you see, Paul is saying, look, this is the example that Jesus set for us. You know, I think oftentimes we make the mistake. I think this is common in the church. We make the mistake of saying, well, you know, Jesus was perfect. I can't be perfect. Therefore, I thank God for his grace that I'm saved. And I'm not going to worry about trying to be perfect because I'll never be perfect. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say for us to consider Jesus in that way. It says that Jesus is our example, an example to be followed. And here we see that rather than fight for his own rights, so to speak, he takes the wrong and he puts himself in the hands of God. Says, I'm going to trust God. Now, this is what Jesus did. This is also what he taught. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said many things, but I want to focus on what he said here, and it will be familiar to you. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. The world is constantly challenging the rationality of the Christian faith and the validity of the existence of God. As Christians, we're faced not only with skepticism and doubt, but also with genuine inquiry. The book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little provides clear and understandable answers to why the Christian faith is rational and how the existence of God is valid. He also addresses other questions that both Christians and non-Christians alike puzzle over. Questions such as, is Jesus really God? Is the Bible historically reliable? Are miracles really real? If God does exist, then why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? If you want your questions like these answered, or to be able to answer questions of others, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. 
To order Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.